Good morning. So good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Uh, Pastor Deal's on vacation, and he asked me to bring the word today, and I'm uh, very privileged and honored that he would do so. I'm excited to do it. We're in the middle of a series right now called You Should Know Better, where we're looking at instances in the Bible where the phrase, I know or you know, um, is there, and we're going to look at what the Bible says we should know. Uh, But first, I just want to recognize Seth and Jessica. Would you stand up real quick? Seth and Jessica have just been approved unanimously by our elders as new members in the church. So praise the Lord for that. If you don't know them, go say hi. Not right now. Listen to me right now. But then go say hi to them, you know, when I'm done. So this message, um, I started working on it. I thought, no, no, no. I don't want to preach this. Like, I like to preach stuff that makes you all smile. That's fun for me. Because everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's good news. But this message is filled with a lot of seemingly bad news. I thought, man, God, why do I have to preach this message? They're going to throw tomatoes at me. That's what I thought. So we're a full service church. I just wanted to make it easy for you. Um, so I have a few bad, bad things. Just, if, you're, if you're just tired of me, yeah, no, I'll give this to your mom. <laughs> if you're just really, if you're just fed up with it, and you're like, I've heard, I've heard enough. Let me get one over here. Um, you could just throw a tomato at me and get me off the stage. I'll give one to you here, John. If you're, if you're just like, boo, just throw a tomato at me and we'll be okay. Um, I wanted to call this message, Christianity ain't all snowflakes and fluffy bunnies. But that was going to take too much line on the paper, too much space on the paper, they said. So I just changed it to Christianity is hard. You should know better. Christianity is hard. I'm going to say some hard things today. There's a lot of stuff I just don't want to talk about because I'm afraid I'm going to get tomatoes thrown at me. Quite literally now because you have them. Um, But you know what? God's word doesn't need defended. It can defend itself. And so can we all just together agree to give God permission to speak to our hearts and whatever, whatever God wants, forget me, whatever God winds up saying to your heart today, are you just, can we just be cool with that? Like God, you, you could mess with us. We don't like it, but we need you to mess with our hearts. All right, uh, let's take a look at the first thing that the Bible says we should know. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2. Paul says, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. And that's the whole bit. So I, I know, uh, here's number two, uh, we should know about an eagerness to give. I see someone about to take a picture, so let me just get ready for this. <laughs> there, you get it? All right. <clears throat> we should know about an eagerness to give. That's the blank. If you have the, the bulletin on the back, there's a spot where you can take notes. Or if you don't have the bulletin, you can go to YouVersion Bible app, tap on more, and then events, and look up us. And all of these sermon notes are right there ready for you to follow along with. We should know about an eagerness to give. Generosity throughout the Bible is a very common theme. Started in Genesis 12 when God blessed Abraham. But it it was on purpose. He said, Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, I will bless you to be a blessing. 
to the nations of the earth. Have you considered that the blessing that God puts into your life isn't for you? That's what this point means. We should know about an eagerness to give. Christians should be eager to give because we realize that what God has blessed us with isn't for us. It's for the nations of the world. It's for the people next to us. So think about that. What, is, what has God given you? If God has given you big muscles, like if you've been blessed with big muscles, those big muscles aren't for you. Go help somebody move. It's not for you. Use it to be a blessing. If God's given you a great brain and you know stuff, use the blessing that God gave you to bless others. Maybe you know how to change oil, but your neighbor doesn't. Use it to bless someone. Maybe you know how to do taxes, but your cousin doesn't. Use it to bless someone. If God's blessed you with money, we should use it. And that's one of the areas that I want to talk about today, specifically. One area of generosity I want to talk about today is the tithe. We're going to look at it in the Bible in verse, uh, chapter, the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Uh, here it is up on the screen. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you, God? God says back, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The idea of the tithe is that it leads to blessing. God asks us to give him the tithe, and blessing will come back. This room right here, last night I preached this, and time, like person after person came up and was giving me a testimony about how they tithed, and they saw God's blessing back in their life. One guy said that he started tithing not on what he made, but on what he wanted to make. And he just kept doing it. And then to the dollar, exactly, he got that promotion and, and, uh, and a raise to the exact amount that he was tithing to and the biggest bonus he ever had in his life. And he's like, just saying, it worked. If, if you're here and you've tithed before and you know that God blesses, I'm going to count to three, one, two, three, and I want you to say nice and loud, it works. Just as a testimony to everyone else who, who may not know, just if you know it works, I'm going to say one, two, three, and I want you to say it works. One, two, three, it works. There's a lot of us here that know because we've tried it. It works. So I want to give you four characteristics from Malachi chapter 3, four characteristics of the tithe. And you can write these down. They're on the bulletin. Here's letter A. Tithe means 10%. It's the definition of the word. Tithe does not mean offering. It means, like look it up, dictionary, 10%, one-tenth. That's what it means. And it's talking about money. Watching for the tomatoes. <sighs> ready for it. Jesus talked about money a whole lot when he was on the earth, and I know how it turned out for him. So I have reason to be worried, I think. So A is tithe means 10%. That's what it means. Here's letter B. The tithe belongs to the Lord. 
I just can't imagine, Pastor Adam, how could you encourage anyone to give 10% of their income to the Lord? Let me ask you this. If I gave you, like, like think, think about this. So imagine I pulled out of my pocket. Like, I don't have, I just have plastic in my pocket. But if I had a $100 bill and I gave you $100 right now that you didn't have, I just gave you $100. And I said, hey, can you give me 10 back? If I give you 100, will you give me 10 back? Of course. <laughs> Who wouldn't? I just gave you 100 bucks. Yeah, you'll give me 10 bucks back if that's all it's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Amen. Psalm 24, verse 1. We have nothing. Nothing is what we have. Everything that has came, to, has came into our control is not ours. It's the Lord's. So if the Lord gave you everything you have and he asked for 10 bucks back, if he asked for 10% back, who would? All blessings come from God. The Bible has a clear pattern of establishing 10% of what we earn as needing to be given back to the Lord. It just isn't ours. I don't have a say in what happens with the tithe. I don't take my tithe and start saying, okay, tithe, I'm going to give this part of my tithe over here, this part of my tithe over here, this part to this, because it's not mine to pick. It's straight to the Lord. Done. Whatever happens with it, it's out of my control. I don't get to pick what happens to it. It's my tithe. Anybody ever heard anyone say, all the church wants is my money? <laughs> yeah, like that, that's why I really didn't want to talk about this. That and the tomato thing. Like, I don't want anyone to think that all the church wants is your money. So let me just set the record straight. That's a big fat lie. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's a lie. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. Yes. This isn't about money. Money is not even, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, it's what I'm talking about, but not really. Because our money is connected to our heart. God doesn't, he doesn't, he has it all. He doesn't need money. He needs your heart. He, he wants your heart. Yes. He wants sacrifice. He wants submission of our heart to him. And to be fully submitted to the Lord is, let me tell you, awesome. It's the path to blessing. That's, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's letter C. So, so the tithe is 10%. The tithe uh, belongs to the Lord. The third characteristic of, of the tithe is it belongs in the storehouse. According to that passage, the tithe belongs in the storehouse. That means your church. The tithe belongs in your church. I am excited to tithe into this storehouse. Because I see God doing great things every single week. I know that it's great seed money. I know it's uh, going to be used wonderfully for God's kingdom. It's going to move the kingdom of God into DeKalb County forward when I tithe here. So I'm happy to do it. And I give extra, my, my wife and I, we give extra to mission. We give extra to other organizations that we want to support. But that's not the tithe. That's, that's offering. The tithe belongs in the storehouse according to this passage. So tithe is 10%. The tithe belongs to the Lord. The tithe belongs to the storehouse. I'm so glad tomatoes haven't been coming at me yet. Here's letter D. The tithe isn't punishment. It's not punishment. It's a blessing. It's the time to throw a tomato back. Hey, Chris, heads up. Coming back at you. 
<laughs> that one was plastic. <laughs> the tithe isn't a punishment. It's a blessing. It doesn't sound like a blessing. It sure doesn't feel like a blessing. Yeah, I know, right? It, do, it feels like it hurts because, because our, our money's connected to our heart. And that's what God's after. He's not after our money. He's after our heart. It's not a punishment. Like, like oh, yeah, these, these Christians have done something wrong, so now I'm going to stick it to them. This is a blessing. It's a blessing because the tithe, when we live on this principle, the tithe, uh, we learn how to live a generous life. And people who live a generous life tend to live much happier lives. That is a blessing. It's a blessing to have your heart submitted to the Lord. Do I need to explain that? To have a heart devoted to God, that is a blessing. And I just did a poll a minute ago, and you all said it works. So those of you that don't know if it works or not, you've heard the testimonies of people around you saying it works. When we tithe, it works. The Lord blesses his people back. It is a blessing to give the Lord our heart. Please, please never, ever tithe out of guilt. Don't tithe because we showed you pictures of hungry people. Don't tithe out of guilt. Tithe because you love Jesus. And you want to respond to him. That should be the only reason. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians, it says, each of you should give whatever you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. We're not twisting your arm here. For God loves a cheerful giver. We want to give cheerfully because we love what? We love God. We love God. He gave us everything we have, so why not? We love Jesus. And Jesus truly is the, uh, the greatest example of generosity. I mean, tithe is a given, but it's really just the beginning. Christ came and modeled extreme and extravagant generosity to us. Nobody before or since has been more generous than Jesus Christ. I mean, he gave his life for us, showing us all sorts of ways to be generous. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, no way, Jose. First of all, my name's Adam. But if you're thinking, no way, Jose, give me one of those tomatoes. What about my bills? You don't know about my bills, Adam. You, you just don't understand the, the financial circumstances I'm under. You, you just don't get it, Pastor Adam. I have two things to say. Number one, if you can't fathom living off of 90% of what you make, chances are you're really struggling to live off 100% of what you make. You have bigger problems than the tithe. You need help. You need, you need help. We have people standing by ready to help you get some bills in order, ready to help you get a budget in order. It may take a month after month of looking at a budget with you, but if you're willing to say, yeah, things aren't great, I need added debt, uh, we have people ready to help you. Amen. Not because we want your money, but because we want your freedom. Right. We don't want you living in bondage the rest of your life. Amen. We want your freedom. That's, it's what God wants for you, freedom. Second thing. Maybe you think, yeah, maybe I could, I could live off of 90%, but yeah, I don't know. Look, will you put up the, other, the, other, the second half of Malachi 18? Put that verse up, please. The second half of Malachi, not 18, the Malachi passage, whatever it was. 
Three? There it is. And there's an eight in it. I knew I wasn't crazy. God said, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I trust what God said. God said, test me. Just you see. Come on, bring it. That's what God said. That's, that's Adam's paraphrase. Bring it, and we'll see. So here's an offer to bring it. We're going to do a 90-day tithe challenge. If you would like to enter such challenge, you have to have not been tithing and be willing to give it a shot. And if over 90 days you tithe regularly to this church, your household income, at the end of those 90 days, if you regret it, you come back and say, I regret it, and we'll give every penny of it back. We're that convinced that God will do what he said. The blessings will come into your life. If you're interested in uh, some help with your uh, finances, you just want somebody to just look at your budget just to help you think things through. Maybe you have no budget. I have no idea how to do this. We're ready to help you. Or if you're interested in the 90-day tithe challenge, it's very simple to let us know that you're interested in that. You can do it right now in your seat. Roll the video. This is how it works. You can do it right now. You just go to mynewhope.in. And as long as the internet's working, it's going to load up. Okay, you swipe over and you type on giving. And down there, it's going to say, oh, I need help to give. If you're interested in taking the 90-day tithe challenge, or you're willing to get financial counseling to get your financial life back on track, fill out the form below, and we'll be in touch with you. And uh, you just type in your, your name. Okay, so, okay, Han Solo. And uh, he'll type in his email. What's his email going to be? I, I love Chewy. Okay. At, you know, this is, yesterday was May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. <laughs> I would like information about... 90-day tithe challenge, you just tap what you want. You, oh, he wants help with both. Or just, okay, he wants help with both of them. And then submit. And it's going to send an email with Han Solo's information straight to my email account. It's going to go straight to me. The whole world's not going to know about it. And um, we'll get you going. It's not about your money. It's about your heart. And it's about your freedom. And that's why we're doing this. We want you to live free. Let's go to the next one. It's in Philippians chapter 4. You know, yesterday was Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. May the, May the 4th. Yeah. Today's Revenge of the 5th. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4. I am not, this is the next one. I'm, I'm setting up a number two. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Here's number two. We should know what it means to be content. That's the blank, content. <clears throat> content means that we are okay regardless of our circumstances. Boy, is that hard. I mean, it's easy to be content when you got plenty, but it's hard to be content when you don't. And that's what Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says. I can do all of this. Often it's translated, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But in context, it doesn't mean you can do anything. 
at least that verse doesn't mean that. It means I can do all of this, no matter what. I can be content in all circumstances through Christ who strengthens me. That's what that verse means. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says it like this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. That's, you know, that's really all we really need. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Let me be very clear. This verse does not speak against wealth. It does not speak against money. It speaks against loving money, pursuing money, so much so that you do bad things. Right? Like, if I want money so much that I start doing shady deals, I'm sinning. Not because of the money, but because I'm doing a shady deal. Make sense? Really, that's greed. The opposite of contentment is greed, wanting more. It happens when your soul isn't satisfied with the Lord. You just feel like you want more. You want more. You, you already have something, but you just got to get one extra thing. Like if you already have a knife, but you just have to get one more multi-tool, for example. <laughs> yes. You just got to get one more. That sort of thing happens when, if, by the way, if you don't know why that's funny, it's an inside joke. This church has been around a while, just long enough. We have inside jokes. You need to come to church a little more often. If you don't know why that's funny. <clears throat> greed, greed does that to us. It's not just greed about money, but, but I just want more. I just want more. I just, I, it's like you're just trying to keep up with the Joneses. If your last name is Jones, please do not be offended. I think you understand what I'm trying to say. But, our, but so much of our life gets wrapped around the things that aren't important. Amen. Greed only exists because of a lack of spiritual contentment. If we're just content with what the Lord has placed in our lives, if we're just content and we can just be satisfied with where the Lord has us, everything else will fall into place. Matthew 5, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all those other things are going to, you know, they'll sort out themselves. All these things will be added to you. But seek first the kingdom of God. We spend so much of our life focused on some of the other stuff that it sometimes may cause us to forget that what truly matters in this world, the stuff that matters right here, right now, in this world is the stuff that matters in the next world. That's the stuff we need to be worried about. So think about your life right now. Maybe too much of your life revolves around having the most attractive Instagram photos. <laughs> Maybe too much of your life revolves around sports opportunities, your job opportunities, your next promotion, your job status, your job title. Maybe too much of your life is revolving around paying off the house that you can't afford or the car that you really can't afford. None of the stuff matters, church. None of the, I want to make sure this is on. Okay, good. None of this stuff matters when we realize that Jesus actually is all we need. Come on. 
I mean, the stuff is fun, and there's nothing wrong with it, lest it leads to something that's wrong. But Jesus is all we need, and if we miss that, forget the rest of it. You can't take any of it with you. Even in circumstances of trial, we can choose to be content, knowing that God has a plan. My wife preached my message to my son yesterday. We were outside playing, and uh, it started raining. And my wife says to Caleb, we need to go inside, Caleb, it's raining. And he says, but why? Four-year-olds like to know why. He says, but why? And mom says, because God made it rain. And he saw the rain as such an inconvenience to his life. The rain was coming between him and the swing. Anybody ever have rain in your life? Such an inconvenience. It's that thing. It's the, I lost my job. It's the annoying neighbor. It's the person that cut me off. Such an inconvenience. Why, God? Why did you make it rain? And that's what Caleb said to his mom. Why? Why did God make it rain? And my wife preached my message, and she said, Caleb, God made it rain because he wants things to grow. And even in situations of trial, why does God let that happen? God lets the trials come because he wants things to grow. He does. That's number three. We can write that down. We should know that we're destined for trials. We should know we're destined for trials. It comes from 1 Thessalonians. Let's read it. Uh, To strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we're destined for them. If you like the idea of the easy way, like in general, if you like to live your life with the easy way or no conflict, I'm just going to go with the flow. I am so sorry to tell you that that is not how it's going to work in your Christian life. And I'm hoping I did not give you a tomato. (laughs) We should know that we are destined for trials. 2 Timothy, I'm skipping a verse, but we're going to go to 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy 3, 12 says it like this. I think. Yep. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life. Anybody want to live a godly life? Let's get those hands up. You want to live a godly life? Guess what? Will be persecuted. Welcome to Christianity. (laughs) Do you understand why I didn't want to preach this? You want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. And at the time that this was written, it was a well-known fact that that if you were going to live according to God's standards in your world right then, physical persecution was going to happen. Like that's just how it was going to be. We are not in fear for our life in this nation. Like, we do not have to fear, like, our government is not going to string us up because of our faith. Does that mean this verse doesn't apply? Oh, no, I'll get to that. Many around the globe, persecution is still a very, very real thing. 58% of the 
refugees coming from Iraq and Syria right now, 58% of them are Christians, scared for their life because they believe like you and me. These are our brothers and sisters, scared for their life because they believe like you and me. Every six minutes, by the time I'm done preaching this message, between five and six people will be murdered because they believe like I do. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not inconsequential. It's renounce the Lord. No. Boom. Murder. We don't have that kind of persecution here. Like it doesn't happen. But that verse still applies. What's our persecution? Certainly we don't face anything like the Christians in Iraq or Indonesia or uh, China or Syria. But what's our persecution look like? This verse, the Bible says all scripture has meaning. All scripture is inspired by God for every generation. So this verse has meaning. If you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Doesn't mean that you will be killed. Doesn't mean that you will spend time in jail for the cause of Christ. But you will be persecuted if you want to live, live a godly life. What's our persecution look like? In DeKalb County, what's it look like? Maybe for you, I mean, it's not the same, but maybe for you it's walking out of the room during a dirty joke. Maybe for you it's reacting in a godly manner when you smash your thumb with a hammer. <laughs> maybe for you it's not looking at the test answers when they're passed on to you. Maybe it means walking out on a lucrative deal that just doesn't smell right. Maybe it means telling your boss that you won't lie for him anymore. Maybe the, like these things are trials. These are trials that we have to get through. And I think there's way too many Christians in America that just got easy. Like, yeah, it's easy. I could just lie for my boss. It's no big deal. Maybe your trial is showing love to the people around you that don't deserve it. There's two types of people in the world. There's people that you are incompatible with. These are the people that you have to try to love. You can love them. It just, it takes effort to love the people that you're incompatible with. So two types of people. The first is the type of people that, that you're incompatible with. And the second is people that you are completely and totally incompatible with. Those are the two types of people in the world. There are no two people that are totally perfect for each other. Doesn't happen. It just, I mean, some of us are married. We know. There's, there's no two people in the world that are perfectly compatible. God does it that way, so we have this opportunity to grow in grace. It's a trial. If you want to live a godly life, you're going to face some of the persecution. You're going to face some trials. We are destined to face some trials. If you're not facing trials, are you living a godly life? Like, I'm not saying you're not. I'm just asking it. I think you should ask it. If you're not facing trials, are you doing anything? Watching the people I give tomatoes to. Because <laughs> the Bible says, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will face persecution. You're going to face some trouble. There may be many reasons that you may suffer for the case of Christ. Here's another. This applies to everyone. 
And I think this is the, the most general application for, for, for these verses. Suffering for Christ means we, means we participate in his suffering, means we put to death the old us. Said more plainly, don't sin. If anyone needs advice on how to sin, I can give you plenty. <laughs> it's easy. No one needs help. No one's going to come and say, hey, how do I sin more? Because you know. That's the easy way is sinning. But doing what's right in spite of it being the harder way, that's where the rubber meets the road, yeah? That's what it means, I think, in the most basic level. If you're going to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to face trials. It, what a trial to do what's right when the easier thing is to sin. That's a trial. Pastor Adam, that's not a trial. I find it easy. Like, teach me, would you? Because sin keeps popping up in my life. I'm sure it keeps popping up in your life. It is a trial to put to death the old us on a regular basis. Somebody say, preach it. That's a trial. Your trial may be not turning to pornography or alcohol to take the edge off of your stress instead of just going to Jesus. Your trial may be not participating in gossip when you hear it. Your trial may be telling the truth when it's easier to lie. Your trial may be faithfully using the wealth God has given you in a way that honors him when it's funner to buy a bigger boat. Your trial may be picking up your Bible when it is easier to watch the new show that came out on Netflix. These are trials. Following Jesus and doing the right thing in our world in our world, is truly a trial. It's just easier to sin. But if you want to live a godly life, you're going to face some trials, Pastor David. <clears throat> At the throne room, final judgment. The Bible's real clear that there's a judgment coming. And at the end, at the end of all time, there's going to be a white throne, and all people will stand before Jesus Christ and be judged. It's going to happen. Some of the Christians in Syria and Iraq and so forth, they're going to stand before the Lord for judgment. And Jesus is going to say something like this. He, he might say, in my infinite wisdom, I placed you in the most war-torn country in the world. In your generation, there was never a more war-torn nation than yours. And I put you there in my infinite wisdom. In my infinite wisdom, I put you there where Christianity was a minority, where when you were baptized, you had to go down to the government and declare it because it was the law and you lost your job for me. Where you constantly feared for your life, where your faith was the minority, where your parents disowned you because of your decision to follow me. In my sovereign and infinite wisdom, I placed you there where you found faithful and there will be a judgment. And this judgment goes for everybody. It happens to, it's universal. Some of us will be at that judgment before the Lord. And God may say to some of us, Jesus may say to us, in my infinite wisdom, I placed you in the most free country in the world 
generation never knew a freer country than the one I put you in. In my infinite wisdom and sovereignty, I placed you there where Christians were common, where the best tools for you to make disciples and spread my love were unencumbered. You had everything going for you in your nation. In my sovereignty and infinite wisdom, I placed you there. Were you faithful? You see, the trials that we face and the persecution that we face is very, very different than the trials and persecution faced by Christians in other countries, but it's not less spiritually significant. How are you going to do with it? Can we all stand together? Lord, even when temptation is rising up, when we feel this urge inside to run away from you, Lord, please give us the strength to face the trial with your help. We cannot do it without you. We want to do the right thing. We want to be free from the bondage in our lives. We want to do the right thing. Lord, give us the courage and the, and the, the strength we need to face the trials and do the right things in our lives to honor you. Lord, I pray that when you look upon your church in Waterloo, Indiana right now at New Hope Christian Center, you would find a people fully devoted to you and for your cause. Let us be that people. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. If you have a prayer need, we'll have some people at the front ready to pray for you. Don't leave uh, without getting your prayer needed. Uh, pray for you. Go with God. You're dismissed.